Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all over the world. And I'm very excited about this episode. To me, in a way, it's long overdue because there's some awesome members of our community in the diabetes online community who live with a different type of diabetes than type one or type two, and that most of us and most of our guests over the years live with. And our guest today is Maya, and you might know her online as Papaya Betty. Uh, so, Maya, welcome to the show. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are so glad to have you. We really love your account and interacting with you over the years. Uh, but also, we wanted to talk a little bit about type 3C diabetes, which we know that you live with, and you get to be the first guest. <laughs> you don't have to shoulder all of the education, but you get to be the first introduction for our guests on this podcast, at least, for what it's like to live with type 3C. So first of all, like, let's talk about you and you know, just a little bit about you and, and your diagnosis story, and then, you know, introduce our guests, our listeners rather, to type 3C diabetes. Yeah. So I actually just hit my 30 year diversary like two days ago. Um, oh, 30, 30 year yeah. diversary? Huge. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's also been 20 years that I've been on the Medtronic pump. So that's kind of like two huge like accomplishments. I didn't think I would get here, honestly. <laughs> you know, like thinking back, I'm like, well, I'm finally there. Um, so that was just a huge milestone for me. But yeah, I know. I'm just excited to talk more about, you know, my journey with diabetes and what exactly type 3C is. But Well, before we get into that, 20 years on a Medtronic pump. So which, what, what was your first Medtronic pump? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm terrible with the numbers. But, yeah, they're, uh, they're hard to remember. There's a lot yeah, of Yeah, I got on on my 10th birthday, actually, just happened to be that case. So that was 2003, obviously. So uh, I know it was a blue pump, a blue or black pump. I don't remember the number, though. But it's been great being on the Medtronic pump. I have been able to see the evolution of what it offers throughout the two decades. Um, and now with the new 780 coming out, which I need to pre-order. It's been on my calendar. <laughs> I, it's funny. I like went to the endocrinologist yesterday just so I made sure that all my stuff was in order so that when I was ready, I could make the upgrade. And that's so funny you say that because I actually have an endo appointment like a couple days before the 15th. So I'm going to make sure all that's lined up. But it's just so awesome. And I actually just went on a CGM not too long ago, like maybe three years ago. So that's been a huge transition in itself as well. So it's really exciting to see all the technology changes. It's funny, like when you think about it, there, there's like all these kind of, I don't know, like it's such a change to get on CGM. And I think some people like myself were really resistant to it because you don't want another thing on your body, but then you experience it and you get to see like how convenient it is to look at your blood sugar. And something I was doing last month was just trying to like be conscious of when I checked my CGM on my pump or my phone mm -hmm. and how, you know, six or seven years ago for me, that would have meant I would have had to prick my finger and like check my blood sugar on my glucometer. So, you know, just in those moments, like remembering how, like, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful and we're, and we're very fortunate, you know, some of us in this country are fortunate enough to be able to get access to CGM. And when we think about like the big opportunities across the world, I know Eritrea does a lot of this in her, a lot of this work in her day job, but like, it's, you know, getting people access to CGM is so important because you really do get to unlock like what your body does throughout the day. You don't have to guess about it anymore. And it's just really impactful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can totally relate to that because I 
since I graduated college in 2016, I was really struggling trying to find a job that would provide good health insurance. And so I've always worked multiple jobs just in order to survive. And I finally was able to get on with the state. And that has been absolutely amazing. And that's a hard process in itself. But um, they do provide really good medical coverage. So I have been very fortunate and beyond thankful to work for an employer that does provide access to these medications and devices. Well, good. I'm so glad to hear that for you. And, you know, it's just an important, always thing important to note for people living with chronic illnesses, like side hustles sometimes are not like optional. You've got to do, you know, go the extra mile. And I think there's a lot of like sort of trauma, like living behind, you know, people may not even recognize it always, but you're, you never know when you might need a big out-of-pocket expense that you can't, you know, negotiate around that you have to do. And I think that's always kind of hanging over people's heads sometimes. So Props to you for and your employer for offering that great coverage. And I know that's something that you know we're passionate about at my companies as well. So yeah. all right, transitioning. You mentioned you just turned 30 and yeah. you had your 30th anniversary. So you were right from the jump, right from day one, yes. thrust in you and your parents thrust into this world of being a full-time pancreas. And for you, that meant even having your pancreas removed. Yeah. So let's talk about your story as well as just sort of some general awareness about type 3C diabetes? Yeah. So I've always considered my diversity, obviously my birthday, because within the first two hours of life, they diagnosed me with congenital hyperinsulism, which is a rare genetic medical condition that pretty much the pancreas overproduces insulin. So it creates uncontrollable hypoglycemia. And at the time, they obviously, where I was born, they had no other patients that they've ever experiences with. So that was a challenge in itself for my parents. And I ended up having my pancreas, my pancreatectomy done at UCSF, but it did take about three rounds of surgery because they were trying to not do all of it all at once because they were saying like, well, if you take that part of it, maybe it'll help. And obviously it didn't. So I had the final surgery when I was eight months old. So, you know, Back in the early 90s, there was like really no technology. So my mom, my dad had to be like on top of everything, checking my blood sugar every two hours. And with hyperinsulism, um, you know, especially when you're fasting, like your blood sugars are tanking. So it's like trying to figure out how much to give the child in order to sustain the blood sugars. So the way the doctors put it to my parents, diabetes was kind of like, a better option because at least you were able to control it more. Whereas with HI, it's very uncontrollable. But now with technology and certain medical advancements, you know, it is a little better, but it's still a huge challenge in itself, you know? Yeah, no kidding. And I just, you know, thinking without a continuous glucose monitor, trying to figure out where you are, you know, from a hyperinsulism insulinism standpoint like that at that time would just be so difficult especially with uh, not only like pediatric patient but like a newborn yeah and the challenges with hi is that you are susceptible because you're having these extreme low blood sugars and i'm talking extreme i'm talking like under 30 you know so my parents would tell me stories like oh yeah you were in the teens you know like just crazy low blood sugars and so you obviously are susceptible to like seizures and other neurological issues that occur from low blood sugars. So children now that are born with it, there is options to get on a CGM, um, but that's still a huge challenge 
in order to get insurance to kind of cover that because they don't have that diabetes diagnosis, you know? Right. And within HI, there are several different like genetic strands. The one that I particularly had, that's why I had to have the pancreatectomy. Most kids with HI can take a medication to help control the blood sugars or they kind of like outgrow it. So it just really depends. And there's a lot of genetic testing that goes into it, obviously. But at that time, everything was so minimal, you know? Sure. And I think like, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Even like diabetes is obviously not a rare disease, but you know, just thinking of like how different the diagnosis experience is for someone today, for the most part, compared to somebody 20 years ago, 30 years ago is, you know, obviously like you, you see how far we've come and that is also extended over into more rare diseases like HI, right? So, you know, you're, you, that, that's great that there's a, those options out there, but for you, like having to have your pancreas removed three different surgeries before you're eight months old, like that's a lot of work being done on such a young person. Yeah. And I, I don't even know how my parents did it. Like, unfortunately, my mom passed away five years ago, but she, before she passed, she would tell me all the time, like, you know, it was just so hard, but she somehow did it. You know, I don't know what it was. And I just, I give so much props to parents, but especially parents that have a child at that age. Like, I don't know how they do it. Like an infant can't communicate with you, you know, and that's just a whole different ball game. It's so scary to think about, you know? So shout it out is. to all those parents. <laughs> Man, I, I think about it all the time. Like they're like having a child is like such a big disruption anyway. And then, you know, you think about having to be a full-time pancreas and then not just for a newborn, but then trying to explain like the nuances of it to a toddler or, you know, a kid who's five or six years old, you know, and just really can't understand the complexities. Yeah. Shout out to, you know, all the parents out there who yeah. are, are caregivers and, you know, being full-time pancreases for for their kids. Also, what an impossible choice. Like, I'm just thinking of your parents, like, I assume they were maybe younger. Their babies come, like, their baby comes out. They're so excited. And, like, they're being told that they now have to make a decision to, like, remove parts of that baby's organs. And it's just, like, that is so hard for me to reconcile in my mind. So I really wonder, like, and, and it's so sad to hear that you've lost your mom because I wonder, like, how she had to make that decision. And it's, like, I am choosing to remove an organ that yes, is going to make things better, but now my child is going to have a chronic lifelong illness. Like what a decision it's like between yeah. a rock and a hard place. Like I can't imagine. So definitely props to them. Yeah. I, I just feel like we can't gloss over that. Cause it's like, I think maybe because it happened to you, mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you're used to it. You've lived with that trauma, but like hearing mm -hmm. it right now myself, I'm just like, Oh my God, that is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And I've actually been able to connect with the congenital hyperinsulism international support group which I'm so happy to have connected with them. But I've been just hearing all these stories of these young, like you said, young parents having their first child being diagnosed with this. And it's like, that is just so scary. And like, I couldn't, I could never, like, I don't know how, I don't know how to handle it as a parent, even though I have it, you know, like that is just a huge decision to make. Well, and let's, let's stay on the topic of community as well, because there are a few type three, other type three C's that I know in the, in the diabetes online community, um, and like Jen and Brandon come to mind as two that, yeah. that I am aware of. And, you know, I know that there are others as well, but like, how important is that for you now? Like as a creator, 
with your papayabetic account, like connecting with other people who have like a similar story, because it is, it's not just diabetes. Like, obviously, like we know how important it is like to connect with people with, with diabetes and like the impact that it's made for both Eritrea and I individually, both early on in Eritrea's case, going to camp and like having friends with diabetes. And in my case, like, you know, making friends on the internet and, you know, feeling that sort of like welcome spirit when you're like, oh, I don't have to explain this to this person. So talk about what that was like, you know, for you as you're kind of like in the online community and encountering other people who are living with type 3C. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I, I'm just kind of thinking back. I didn't meet another child like me with diabetes until I was 10 years old. And that's like when I went to camp. So fast forward as an adult, I didn't meet anyone else until I met Jen on the diabetes community. And what's so interesting about type 3C is that like my diagnosis is way different, but every person that I meet with type 3C has a very different diagnosis as well. So I learned so much from them, you know, but it wasn't until I met someone who actually had HI that I was like, wow, this is like a whole other ball game. Like it is so cool to meet other diabetics and then others that are type 3C, but then someone that actually knows what HI is. I was like, that never happens. Like even my doctors are kind of like, I always joke saying that, oh, the doctors give me like the deer in the headlight look because they've never had a patient like me or they've never heard of the HI medical condition. Medical condition. So like to have someone actually know what it's like was just, it's just, I can't even describe that feeling, you know? And a couple months ago, I actually met a family here in Sacramento who had two children that were born with HI that now have their pancreases removed. And I was able to chat with them for a couple hours and it was just, I can't describe the feeling, but it was just, I felt so happy and understood, you know? Hmm. Yeah. It's like from this like very difficult thing there, there can, you can find some thread to pull through. And like, you know, I think where, when we have those sort of low moments where we're wondering, well, why did this happen to me? And I don't like this. And like, there's no, there's no end. It's like, you know, life is difficult enough and I have this to deal with. There's those rare moments where you you know can really connect with someone. And I think like that, that's really special. I have only, you know, with, with diabetes, obviously it's not as rare. So I get to meet parents and, and people and, and friends and peers and some who have become my closest friends with diabetes. But I think I was thinking back to one of my, you know, really close friends, nephew was diagnosed with type one and like just getting to go like sit down across the table with him and his mom and his grandma just be like, Hey, like, it's going to be okay. We can connect on that and ask questions and like, see the lights come on for them. I, I know that that meant so much to that family. So like, that's such a cool thing. Yeah. And community is amazing. I think we all need it, you know, because diabetes is so hard and already, you know, but to have someone there that understands it is like so crucial. It's a huge, huge level up. And you know, it takes though, it takes like courage to create the space for yourself and to like raise your hand. So uh, you got your account papayabetic uh, and we were talking about in our staff meeting, we we're just, we we're calling you Maya Papaya. So I assume that is, is your, just your nickname is that, and that's where that came from. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Maya Papaya is my nickname. And when I was creating this account, I asked my boyfriend, like, what should I call it? And he's like, why not papayabetic, like papaya diabetic? And I'm like, oh, I like that. Thank you. And then I kind of just went from there. And, you know, kind of what, what caused you to take that step? Was that something that you just encountered or, you know, like I, many people have told their stories of like clicking through hashtags and feeling like, you know, wanting to contribute and be a part of the community. What was that like for you? 
So I actually just started my Instagram page because at that time in my life, like I had just lost my mom and my brother. And I was just going through a lot, like mentally dealing with two losses at such a close time frame. Because I lost them, my mom or my brother in May, my mom in October of the same year. So it was just a lot. And so I was trying to somehow just find an outlet where I can meet others like me, you know, and just have something fun to focus on because it was just too much in real life, you know? And so that's where my papaya bed came from. I was like, well, I'm going to, I want to meet others that have diabetes. Like, I just want to start talking about it, start creating content. And then I connected with Jen and I met others like me, like other type three C. So it kind of just took off from there, honestly. And it's been fun. Like I've been doing this now, I think for three years. So it's been cool. It is cool. And I, and I just, I love your approach and, and, and also we can talk about like NorCal diabetes, but I don't want to gloss over like, you know, I'm sorry to hear for your losses. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about grief on this podcast and like how adjacent it is to diabetes and like how much grief there really is involved in diabetes as well. So, um, I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your family and, uh, and just, you know, sending you guys love for that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And what a beautiful tribute to both of them. You know, like your mom was there from day one with your diabetes mm -hmm. and, I know my siblings talk about how that it's impacted their lives. So I can't imagine how it impacted your brother. So what a way to completely like, I don't know. It's so it's really meaningful to me, a person who can take grief and turn it into love. Because yeah. what someone said is like, what is grief? But it's from a TV show, but it's like, what is grief? But love like enduring. And yeah. And like that is just, oof, I'm going to cry. I got to stop. Yeah. And that's and I've kind of like when I like when I've been able to do these like fun big moments within my platform I'm like I just want to tell my mom so bad because she was so involved in the diabetes community and I can't but I obviously tell her in my head or you know and I, my brother was like they were all such advocates for me so it's something I can do to keep their memory alive all, honestly for me too you know so that's the, the origin <laughs> well that's that's very sweet and and powerful I know, I know they're proud of you I, I you know and and for what you're doing for others as well. So speaking of others, and you know, you mentioned that you're in Northern California, like Sacramento. So Northern NorCal Diabetes meetups, like, and I've, I see your account NorCal Diabetes all the time, you know, posting and tagging and being involved in the community. And you guys did a meetup recently. And uh, what's that like to be able to connect with people in, you know, your area and, and be able to see you know starting this thing and like tangibly be able to interact. We recently had a local event in Dallas and for us, it's just really cool to, you know, people we don't even see or we wouldn't even expect to be there. We don't really even know we get to meet them. And like, uh, you know, everybody, you know, loves that community connection, but it's always such a surprise to see people where like, wow, we really are reaching these people. And there really is an opportunity to, to get people, you know, offline and in person. So what's that like yeah. for you guys? Oh, I think it's really fun. I'm still in the stages of kind of creating NorCal Diabetes more like official, like learning what it takes to be a nonprofit. So in the meantime, I've just been doing meetups, but I want to do so much more, obviously, with that group. But it's, it's been fun. Like, I've been able to connect with some really cool people in SAC. I've also met other people living with diabetes that have the other types, like Modi, you know, Type 3C, Lada. It's, it's just been really cool. And with NorCal Diabetes, I then was able to get my second job, which is with DYS, Diabetes Youth Families. And we put on camps in the Northern California area. So recently, I took my NorCal group and I also did something with DYF and we put on um, a meetup for children at a, 
it's called like Rebounders. It's like a big indoor trampoline place. And that was really fun because I was finally able to connect with parents and just kind of speak with them about camp and just like their overall experiences with diabetes. And just, it kind of brought me back to like when I was a kid, like seeing these kids meet others for the first time, like them, they were just so happy, you know? And it's just a very rewarding experience to be able to bring others together so they can talk about their experiences and make friends too, you know? So I've been able to make some really awesome friends past two years since I've been doing this. But also creating meetups, like it's challenging in itself too, you know? Like there have been times, and I'm not afraid to admit it, where I put on meetups and no one shows, you know? So it's like, okay, like what can I do differently? Like what do people want to do, you know? So it's like, it's fun, but it's very challenging at the same time. It is. And it feels risky too. Like we, mm-hmm. excuse me, we're even doing, um, well, I have like a, I have like the Godfather. Oh my God. I, I love it. My voice is gone. Batman, <laughs> your city needs you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm back. But we even talked about on this podcast of like, you know, it's easy for, you know, to look at like social media numbers or like, you know, endorsements or whatever. And like say, oh, well, like, you know, Rob and Dybeck's doing, he's like doing all these things. But we were talking about also like we're just hoping that we could get six people at a meetup and, and we exactly. got we had 20 and I felt like I could have been king of the world at that point. I was like, oh, yes, like we have 20 people here and like we're having a great time and we're just like yeah. having coffee together. But it is risky, like because you never know, like people are busy. They have tons of stuff going on and it's hard to commit to doing something extra and doing something outside yourself. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that I think guy you- to commit. We couldn't even get the guy to commit. And this is like completely like this is insider <laughs> tea. So this you're going to yeah. get, Maya. But like we were there for the meetup and there was this oh, random guy getting coffee who just was wearing yeah. an Omnipod. So I like oh, talked to him and I was like, hey, are you here for the meetup? And he was like, no, you crazy weird lady. Get away from me. Like, oh very, like totally had diabetes, completely yeah, yeah. uninterested. So I just thought it was funny. We could even get a guy who was just randomly there to commit. But 20 other people <laughs> came. So it was totally yeah. fine. But I will say that fear of like putting something on and nobody's gonna come like it's like my fifth grade birthday party all over again like i sent out the invites will anyone ever show up because i'm not cool enough but you know it's different when you work with a celebrity i guess i don't know why (laughs) well it's like i mean you're really putting yourself out there i mean you put yourself out there when you're on social media and in person like i've had friends that have said comments like well i could never do that like what happens if no one comes like how embarrassing i'm like well at least i tried you know like and I mean, like, like you said, like people have their own lives going on. So it's like, I understand, you know, so. But it's it's still just a fun experience, even if someone doesn't show, you know, but I, I love that, though, because I. I, I can work like for, to me, the, the worst crime is not trying mm-hmm. and talking yourself out of it. And. I've talked about this before, but like my I have this book sitting in my office and it's. My dad got it for me when I was like six years old. And it's like this Michael Jordan book. And it's like a hundred words long. It's like, it's calling it a book. It's just like, it's a lot of pictures in it or whatever, but it's like, yeah. I can't accept not trying. And that's like such a big, like inside my heart, like that exists as like my, some of my ethos. And I, so when I hear people say things like that, which I do all the time, like, cause people talk themselves out of doing amazing things because of fear and sometimes like really good reasons, but I think on the other side of that is just so you never know where it's going to lead you. Like having conversations with parents, you know, doing collaborative meetups with, with kids and camps, like going and jumping around at a trampoline park. Like those are things, those are experiences that if you don't raise your hand and like 
give your give of yourself that vulnerability you don't get that return so i think that there really is like so much good stuff on the other side of that if you know people can can commit and overcome that fear so props to you for doing that it's it's a big thing thank you thank you (laughs) way to commit also like it just makes me feel like i don't know if my if my you're a super rob fan or something because it's very like on theme to something he said a few weeks ago to me which was are you clocking in at the desk of xyz and doing the work and it really seems like maya shows up a papayabetic every day and puts in the time and i think that's beautiful because if people are looking like there's a community right there yeah so, yeah Child. thanks yeah 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 so let's talk just a little bit about like what would you say to someone who is is having those thoughts like oh i want to I want to get, I want to have this community or I want to be part of a meetup or I want to like start what, you know, do something in my community, like yeah. what Maya is doing, but they they haven't worked up the courage yet. Like, what would you say to somebody like that? And it's funny you mentioned that because I have had people ask me that like on TikTok, especially. And I just say like, just go for it. Like, you know, like I know that's, I wish there was a better answer, but it's like, if you have an idea that you want to bring people together, really just start talking about on social media, especially the first one, give it like a couple weeks, you know, like just really market yourself and what you want to do and hope for the best, you know, like hopefully that people will come. But the tricky part is too, is finding venues that don't charge you a lot of money. And I, I get it. They're a business. They have to do what they have to do. But I think, especially in the beginning, I was like, I don't know if I can fork out like a hundred and something dollars just to reserve a table, you know, like I don't even know if anyone's coming, you know? So I always tell people that are interested in that, just like find somewhere where you can reserve a table for free for just a couple people, really talk about it on social media and just go for it, you know, because you'll never know who will come. And everyone's nervous. Like the first one I did, the the, the awesome ladies that came, they're like, we were so nervous to come, but I'm so glad that we did. And we talked there for like three hours, you know? And it was just a good time. and. So yeah, just go for it if you're interested in doing a meetup. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I, I When I used to go to events and speak more often, and some of those are coming back, but I used to tell people like the word meetup, sometimes it's just like people meeting at a restaurant or it's meeting at a coffee shop or meeting at a bar or, you know, a, you know, a bowling alley or something where, you know, a couple of people would just meet or friends would go anyway. So just be yeah. the meetup you want to see in the world and just, you know, put that out there. And sometimes you know, again, the word meetup, you'll see photos, everybody looks like they're having a great time. And I think that can be intimidating for some people. Mm-hmm. But really, it's just like five or six people most of the time, just t- sitting around talking, having a good time and just overcoming their fear, getting outside themselves and being willing to show up for each other, which I think also has a ton of power. So exactly, here I am, big meetup guy, big, big advocate yeah. for meetups. Yes. And I think also depends on location. Like, obviously, you're in your area, there's a lot more people. Sacramento is like, even though we're the capital of California, it's it's not an easy place for everyone to meet. Everyone's kind of spread out, you know? So that's like a tricky part too. Like if I was in San Francisco or LA, I think it would be a lot easier. But that's just me personally thinking that, you know? You might just have to light the beam, you know, and just tell yeah, people where to go. Beam, yeah. <laughs> So I want to ask you a question, you know, regarding a little bit of, we, you talked about your Medtronic pump and you've been on a pump for, for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And something that I learned in the last year about type 3C diabetes is mm-hmm. that 
because it's not diabetes mellitus technically, like even though the symptoms are the same. And I, I think where I learned this was I was talking, I was on a speaker committee trying to approve speakers for a conference. And mm -hmm. there was a person who had submitted a request and they they lived with type 3C. And unfortunately, like there was this big discussion about how they couldn't technically approve them as a speaker because they didn't have diabetes mellitus. Mm -hmm. And to me, I thought that the story was the more important thing. And like this, like they weren't giving any, you know, treatment options or anything like that. It was more of just inspirational. Yeah. But there are challenges. And I want to know, like for you, maybe with insurance approvals or endocrinologists or even working with brands, have you run into any issues like because you live with type 3C and technically that's not even though your treatment is the same as, you know, mostly the same as a person with type one, mm -hmm. uh, technically on paper, there is a difference. Yeah. So I have noticed that too. And I feel like, yeah, it's a tricky one because we put type one on insurance because that's the only way things are going to be paid, honestly, you know, mm -hmm. but like my doctors are, they're like, no, like you're pancreatic, your, your diabetes is secondary. Like, you know, it's, a surgical induced diabetes like so it is tricky because you know like when I introduce myself to people I'm like oh yeah I have diabetes I just say diabetes I, I don't even yeah. say I you know they'll ask me oh are you type one I'm like not really like I handle it like a t I'm insulin dependent I say that but I have my pancreas removed and they're like what like I never heard of that you know um so it, it does get tricky you know and so that's why especially with like devices or in just insurance, we have to put like type one, even though I don't have type one, you know? So it is a, a very tricky thing, but I think including all the different types of diabetes, especially in conferences, like speaking engagements, you know, like I think that's important right. because I think we can all learn from one another, you know? And diabetes is, at the end of the day, we all go through the same thing. We like, you know, we may just have different diagnoses, but we're all dealing with the same types of stresses and issues, you know, especially with medical stuff. Oh, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think like the knowledge that I've gained from learning from other people with different types of diabetes, you mentioned earlier, like Modi and Lada. We, ha we haven't had anyone with Modi on the podcast before, and that's a miss. We've got, we got it on the list to do later this, this spring. But yeah, just learning about Lada and learning about you know, people who were, you know, misdiagnosed type two who really have LADA and, you know, go through that journey. Like how many times have we heard that in the community? And if you're not plugged in, you may have never heard of that before. Exactly. Um, and like you said, like on some forms, there's probably not type three C, you know, it's just mm -hmm. diabetes, you know? And I, I think too, like I often, you know, just to try to be more respectful and inclusive of people with type two also introduce myself as just having diabetes. Uh, mm -hmm. If they want to get into the the nitty gritty, we can, but most people just are like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I take it. And, and then the next one is usually, like, whoa, what do you take? And it's like, yeah, well, I take insulin. So yeah, um, yeah it's really okay. interesting. I, I think to me, like inclusion is such a huge, it's kind of a buzzword right now. And I think a yeah. lot of like companies, like whether it's, you know, race and gender or cultural background, but diabetes is inclusive of that. And I think in the diabetes community, it's really easy to like, we, we're really good about saying diabetes is not a monolith, but mm -hmm. it's when you put it into practice and you see like the, there are real hurdles to 
just getting the care that you need, even if you check all the other boxes, like, you know, insurance and coverage and access to, you know, the right people to get you the devices that you need, you can still encounter these problems and, you know, switching healthcare providers, like you said, like different distinctions, like surgically induced diabetes. It's like, at the end of the day, you're still required to take insulin. You're still required you know, to treat and count every carb. Well, that's uh, the loophole. So- that's the loophole, right? That's why your providers have been able to do it. It's because you are insulin dependent, right? So mm-hmm. that's why we're like, oh, we'll just list you as type one. Which yeah. Is like, oh, that's pretty smart. It's kind of genius, you know, on there. And like, yeah. how do we still get her what she needs? Yeah. And then because I have my pancreas removal, then I obviously have to take the digestive enzymes. So that's like, kind of, it's tricky and it's up to you because my endo can prescribe them, but I really should be seeing a gastroenterologist for it. But a lot of the gastros have never seen a patient like me, as they claim also. So it's just that issue with that medication is a whole other discussion, you know? I and- was wondering what those implications were, because I know that the full removal of the pancreas is insulin and digestive enzymes. So I was just like, so what does that diagnosis look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I have to take, well, the name brand that I use is Creon. There is another brand and I'm kind of going through some difficulty with that medication as we speak because my endo noticed, well, my absorption, my absorption is horrible in general because I don't, you know, create those enzymes naturally. I have to, you know, take them orally. And so obviously it causes all these issues in my blood sugars where I experience really bad roller coaster effects. Like Sometimes I'll be like close to 300 and drop down to like 40, you know, like just insulin is, I'm so sensitive to insulin. I've never really experienced insulin resistance and certain foods will obviously, we we already know that certain foods cause issues with our blood sugars, you know, but because even though I'm taking the Creon, sometimes I feel like it's like I never took it because my body then starts to freak out because it can't absorb and it can't digest. but Creon, if you need to have good coverage for it because that medication is more expensive than insulin, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot more, like very, very, very expensive. And there are some programs that help with the cost, um, but it's just ridiculous, like how much that medication really is out of pocket, you know. And we obviously need both, you know, because I need to eat, you know. And so right now I'm trying to figure out if. I need, I'm already in the highest dosage of Creon, but I need to see if there's like a gastro that can help me figure out why I'm having so many digestion issues, you know, and I've done all the tests. There's no celiac, no nothing, you know, but it's really impacting my blood sugars at this point, last like year or two, you know. It's also so interesting to see how your body changes over time, you know, and your dosage, dosages change or your body assimilates and adapts to the medication. You either have to take more or take something different. Yeah. Well, you know, I hate, I hate knowing how frustrating roller coaster blood sugars are. Man, I, I absolutely feel tons of just sympathy for, for you having to go through that. And also then having to figure out the brand name or the generic and like all of that, like and I, you know, that's another thing that we didn't even really talk about is outside of being insulin dependent and having to basically live with the, you know, the treatment of type one diabetes, you not only, you have other challenges as well. So what does your typical kind of like medication and treatment plan look like? Well, I obviously take the insulin and the prion anytime I eat or eat snacks, but I feel like, and this is going to sound so weird to say, but I feel like the blood, handling the blood sugars is not my biggest difficulty. It's just the digestion. 
like and just eating because there's a lot of foods that I feel like I can't eat because they give me like horrible symptoms, you know, and it's just like the constant like fatigue of like feeling sick from my stomach, you know. And recently I went to the Children with Diabetes Conference, the regional in Seattle, and I was talking to the director there and he was familiar with my diabetes. I was like, oh, this is so cool, you know. And he recommended some things that I should look into. So I'm like, oh, I'll definitely check that out with my endo next time, you know, because he's seen others that have, like me, obviously, that have complained about the same things. So I think I need to like see like a subspecialist, you know, and I've also spoken to other people within the HI community that have experienced the same thing. So I'm kind of just seeing what my options are, but it's, it's going to be a little, it's going to be kind of tricky, honestly. Well, and it's kind of like, just when you get a, a good piece of information, it means, mm-hmm. oh, I've got to go make another appointment with another specialist and like go through yeah. those hurdles, you know, just, just to get through that, which is yeah. just such a challenge. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of just crazy. I don't think a lot of times people realize how much the pancreas actually does for us, you know, like obviously insulin is a big thing, but like, I know that a lot, there's, and I mean, there's a lot of people and a lot of people that don't, but some people use the term dead pancreas, you know, in the community. And I kind of chuckle when I hear that word because I'm like, your pancreas really isn't dead. Just because you stop making insulin, you have no idea how much that organ's actually helping with your digestive system, you know? And like, when you don't have that, like, oh my God, like, it's just, it just kind of sucks, you know, like the digestion and dealing with the blood sugars and insulin, you know? Um, so that's why I just try to stay away from using that term or using other words like lazy pancreas or whatever, you know, just because that organ is so important. I love that you're talking about this. I was waiting. This is tea. That's what we were just saying because I feel like there's a whole group called Dead Pancreas Gang. I think there's like a t-shirt. Maybe. I'm sorry. If there's a a podcast and that's y'all, my bad. But that is a lame name. Like people who are actually impacted by that, like who full on, like you have no pancreas, right? And it's like, you are just pretending that this other people are just pretending this organ is dead in their body when like it actually does all this stuff for them. Like how privileged of us, you know? And well, I don't think we're even thinking about that. It's it's that I love this stuff because it's the othering of others, right? Like mm-hmm. and we Rob and I talk about this a lot, but it's like we play oppression Olympics in mm-hmm. disabled communities. And like yeah. gosh, I just I until I found your account, it never even crossed my mind that we were othering people with type three C. Like how so- awful. So I, that you, you hit the nail on the head because it didn't cross your mind because you didn't know. So I, you know, I've seen the dead pancreas gang sweatshirts. I've seen the, the, you know, the sweatshirts, other sweatshirts that, and t-shirts that people have had challenges with. And I I do feel a little, I want to be gentle to my creatives because I know people are like, they they mean mean well, they mean well, and they're trying something new and they're doing something in a space that like nobody does cool stuff for. So keep doing cool shit. Mm -hmm. But also just remember that like we're all learning so much about diabetes on, you know, and it really is a spectrum. Like your first 10 years, you learn, you know, enough and then you start to start to weasel your way into other communities and meet other people. And hopefully you're sharing your story and that allows you to meet other people that change your perspective and make you realize like, oh, like my pancreas really does do some things for me that if I didn't have it or if I had pancreatitis, like Mm -hmm. I I would have tons more problems. And so I think like, you know, while we're, while we do sometimes are guilty of playing oppression Olympics and especially on social media where we're trying to like be seen and we're trying to be heard and we're trying to be validated, we, you know, can, can do better to remember, like to be gentle with each other on both sides where it's like, yeah. Hey, like, you know, that's an opportunity to educate 
there's so much stigma in the world of diabetes, like 50 years of Wilford Brimley's type two diabetes commercials, rest in peace, Wilford Brimley, my guy. But, um, you know, like there's just a lot of, a lot of work that we've got to undo and it it takes one person at a time. So because we have papaya bedic, because we have Jan has diabetes, because we have the other folks who are, who are out sharing their stories. We now know that there's, you know, your pancreas, my pancreas is not dead. It, yeah. It's lazy and worth a shit, but it, you know, it's not dead. It's still there helping me out. Yeah. I and, think yeah. it would be worth to people like Maya. So I guess this is my question, right? Like uh-huh. other than the digestive enzymes and the insulin, what else do people with diabetes need to know that the pancreas does for them that maybe does not happen in a type 3C body at all? You know, I know there's other things, but I can't like name them off the top of my head right now, honestly. No worries. You know, but um, those are just the two that really come to mind. So obviously the, the digestion and the insulin producing and kind of like to go back to like the whole statement that that pancreas thing, the way I mean, and there's no hate to anyone, you know, at all. It's just like to me, it's just I take it as a time to educate because like how most people with diabetes don't like it when we say, oh, diabetes is caused by eating too much sugar. I, I don't really like it when people say dead pancreas because it's like your pancreas really isn't dead, you know, like, so it's just, it's just a time to educate, you know, like, and I think we can all learn from one another, one another, because diabetes is just so complex, you know? Gosh, the more I learn about it, the more that rings true. It's just, <laughs> it's so true. Like there's so many different things like the you know, it's been now five plus years since I had a researcher come on the podcast and talk about in the research community, diabetes is known as the disease with too many inputs because yeah. there's so many different things that affect it. And 80% of them, you don't even have control over. So, you know, of, you know, are you, are you having a bad blood sugar day because of diabetes or because of the 90 other things that could potentially be going wrong? Yeah. Because somebody said something mean to you or because, you know, you a doorknob snatched off your site or you, you know, what, you know, what are one of the infinite other challenges that could be going through it. And then you add another complexity, like losing your pancreas as part of that, uh, then there's other things to overcome. And, you know, all of those things play into each other and it is complex. And, you know, anybody who's dealing with it or anybody who's taking care of someone who's, who's, who's encountering, whether it's type one, type two, type three, Modi, Lada or others, and we we don't even know like the the other distinctions un, underneath those yet. Like there there could be forty types of diabetes, and we just don't even know yet because we're, yeah. we're encountering so much new research every single day. Exactly. And then like when I think of when I was recently talking to a doctor from I was at a conference also for HI, and I asked them like, okay, obviously like at some point I'll probably will be thinking about having kids. You know, like how does this affect me? And he said well, you're going to have to get genetically tested to see if you carry the gene because it's a 50-50 chance, you know? So you either have it and you have to figure out, like, if you do have children, like, are you going to pass on that gene? You have to get your partner to get tested too. It's like a whole thing. So it it just brings on a, a whole other can of worms, honestly, I feel like, you know? Well, and like, what a normal thing to ask, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah. and, you know, I think again, back to the, you know, the unintended consequences of trying to be positive, like, you know, the, the, you, you can do anything with diabetes line mm-hmm. while true in some cases, like it's not true for everybody. And, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be extra complications or extra challenges or questions that you have to ask that are, 
really difficult, uh, you know, when you're doing things like starting a family, which somebody who's more able-bodied might just take for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think about that a lot. And maybe this is a little bit off course, but it's just like, maybe my, I don't know if you have these frustrations, but gosh, sometimes I dislike healthy people so much. And I can't imagine thinking of like planning a future family and being like, now I have to consider if I'm going to pass this gene on. So what a implication as a woman, right? And so I guess I guess I wonder if there's other implications also as a woman with type 3C, like if there's anything else that you have to deal with, maybe on a monthly basis or whatever. Yeah. I can't think of anything right now. Honestly, I just, it's just, yeah, but it's, it's scary to think about, like, I have to make such a big decision if I do want to start kids, you know, like, I have to get tested. I have to get, you know, my husband does like all that. It's just, but yeah, I agree. Like, I, I think I get jealous more so like when people can actually just eat food and enjoy it and not have issues eating it, you know, like, yeah, like they don't have to give insulin, but they don't have to think of, is this food going to actually hurt them? And they're have a terrible stomach ache for the next couple hours or days, you know, like I get jealous of people that can eat food normally. I relate absolutely like I love food so you guys know what I do to healthy people what I cook them on the basketball court on a weekly basis (laughs) that's my therapy I'm just like nah you don't don't know this but I have this insulin pump and the CGM on my arm and it and when I go home later I'm gonna my blood sugar is gonna fall low when I sit on the couch but I'm gonna get you now that's my that's my it's very, it's very much like I am disabled and yet I am better than you, healthy person. Jeez, for Louise, Rob. It's bad. Will, it's will, bad. will the superiority of complex ever die? But that's a conversation <laughs> for a different pod. How much time do we have for this pod? <laughs> Maya, this has been awesome. I, I messaged Eritrea on the side. I just said, good pod. This is an excellent, an excellent, excellent this podcast. Thank and you <laughs> Thank you for being so willing to share and educate us as well as our listeners on what life is like for someone whose pancreas has been removed and lives with type 3C diabetes. I've learned a lot and and I just am so inspired by you being willing not only to get up every day and you know do the work to make yourself like live and and eat and and all of the math and all of the challenges that come with that but then also to give up yourself and to connect with others and be part of the community and talk to 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 family members. I know you know, not to, I, I don't know, this, this is, uh, I'm feeling em- emotional even just bringing it up, but I know that your family, just knowing that you can, p- can pay it forward to someone else. I know that if they could have met a papayabetic when you were born, that that would have really, really helped them. And, and so uh, props to you for, for paying that forward. And I know you're making a huge impact in people's lives. Oh, thank you. That's sweet. Oh, uh, cool. So we've talked about papayabetic. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about NorCal diabetes. If you're yeah. listening to this and you're in NorCal, you've got to follow that account. You got to get yeah. linked up. And uh, yeah, we would love to uh, to to do some more stuff with you as well. So uh, uh, we'll keep an eye out. And so please link us up if you need a need us to promote any meetups or things like that, or yeah. or send something out in the in the newsletter. We would love to help support. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Well, have a good day, guys. <laughs> <laughs>